At first glance, the timing couldn't have been worse for President Trump. On the eve of his party's convention, video surfaces showing an African-American man being shot in the back seven times by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It was a reminder yet again of the police violence often inflicted on minorities, giving new life to the Black Lives Matter protests that swept the country in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd. But then the protests in Kenosha turned violent themselves. Buildings and vehicles were burned. Molotov cocktails thrown. On Tuesday night, two people were shot and killed. And that, too, was a reminder of the violence that Trump and his party see as a winning issue that could carry them to victory. We'll discuss the events in Wisconsin with Yahoo News reporter Crystal Hill, and then we'll talk to Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union and an advisor to the Trump campaign, about what these events mean for the election and get his take on the Republican convention so far All that on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isagoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And we are joined by Yahoo News reporter Crystal Hill. Crystal, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, you have been following the uh, events in Kenosha, Wisconsin, very closely. Tell us where things stand, what we know about what happened to Jacob Blake and what we now know about what has happened after the video of Jacob Blake's shooting surfaced. Yeah, so, I mean, much of what we know is really based on the video, Kenosha police have not, they really haven't released very many details about uh, the actual shooting, the investigations being handled by the Wisconsin Department of Justice. And so they basically defer to them for any details. But what we know based on the video is that Jacob Blake, 29-year-old Kenosha resident and father was apparently shot by, I believe, at least one Kenosha police officer, according to the video. The video shows him walking to his vehicle. Two police officers are behind him. He opens the driver's side door, and police just open fire, shooting his back, as the video shows. And he was seriously injured, and according to his attorney, is paralyzed from the waist down and has lost the use of his legs. Uh, Crystal, I have a question. Are, were those real live bullets being shot at him or were these taser? They were bullets. According to his attorneys, he was shot at least seven times and the bullets severed his spinal cord, I believe, which uh, caused him to lose the use of his legs. It's unclear if police used any other type of force if they tried to use a taser before uh, the shooting. Again, it's, you know, we still don't really know for sure because police have not really commented on how the officers approach that situation. Why is it that the information up until now has been so hazy? I mean, this happened a few days ago. It sparked an enormous amount of protests and riots and violence in the streets of Kenosha, including two other people who were killed, now a 17-year-old a uh, man has been arrested in that incident. And as you said at the beginning of this conversation, all we essentially know is what was on the videotape. Why so little information? A reporter actually asked that today at the press conference. The reporter had asked, you know, why on day three are we just now getting a press conference uh, where we essentially learned not much more about the shooting. And I believe it was a police chief, Daniel Miskinis, who said that, you know, police needed time or they need time to gather information. Um, They need time to, you know, gather the details and start investigating. It's not that unusual for a police department to wait a few days or perhaps longer to put together a narrative to, uh, you know, send to 
the media, it's into the public, but it doesn't help matters, I guess, uh, in Kenosha that uh, it, it took this long for the sheriff and for the police chief to even just address the fact that a shooting happened. So some of it is fairly standard, but I think, you know, the fact that they waited this long has sort of played a role in people being frustrated. Crystal, we've had three nights of protests, some of them quite violent in Kenosha since then. There's been looting. The police chief talked about uh, arson, throwing Molotov cocktails. What do we know about who's perpetrating the violence, whether the Black Lives Matter movement is encouraging the violence or whether there were others that were encouraging the violence. Just tell us what our state of knowledge is right now about what's happened in the aftermath. Again, a lot of it is unclear. I mean, there's, you know, there's speculation that it's outside agitators. You know, we at least know that the suspect in the, um, the shooting that killed two people, that the suspect was from, or is from Antioch, Illinois. So he was from outside of Kenosha and was in Kenosha for some unknown reason and, you know, ended up allegedly fatally shooting someone. But it really is unclear where the violence is coming from, if it's mostly residents or if it's sort of a mix of of residents and outside and people coming from the outside. I mean, one thing about these shootings is that, you know, it, it might not be the shooting itself that is, that has led to this unrest. I mean, it could be a lot of tension that's just sort of boiled over as we saw with George Floyd and, and what that sparked. But right now it's, it's, it's hard to say who all is responsible for. Well, what do, what do you know about this community in Kenosha? It's a town of, it's of about 100,000 people. Has there been racial tension in Kenosha in the past that's boiled over? Is there a history of the police department engaging in significant misconduct. What's What do we know about this community? I mean, there is, as far as the police department, my understanding is that there have been attempts at reform. I think the Associated Press reported today that in 2017, um, the department or the city had approved uh, the use of body cameras, but that for some reason, the department never purchased them. And so, so there have been some incidents uh, in the past as far as whether there's racial tension, I'm unclear on that, but I do think that there have been some steps toward reform that did not seem to really come to pass for the department. And the specific incident last night involving this 17-year-old who allegedly shot and killed two people, there was suggestion that this involved an altercation or a standoff between protesters who were violating the curfew and people who claim to be protecting businesses. Some people think that they may have been vigilantes of some sort. There's also been rumors that perhaps this 17-year-old was in some way connected to militias on the ground. Any of Is there any hard information behind any of that, or are those just rumors at this point? I think they are mostly rumors at this point. When asked about, you know, militias and uh, specifically when asked about the video, I think neither Sheriff Dave Beth or Chief Miskinis commented on rumors that there are militias patrolling the city. I know that the mayor, he very clearly said that the city does not need any um, armed militias, that it does not need any more people with guns patrolling the streets. But there's no real concrete evidence, uh, or at least there's no confirmation that these militias are uh, in the city. But, you know, we did see on the video, we clearly saw some armed people who were confronting protesters or being confronted by protesters. Okay. Last question, because we know that you've got to get back to covering this story. You've got an interview in just a couple of minutes uh, with a source. What are you expecting uh, uh, tonight and in the coming days? Is there any uh, sense that the tensions are being diffused, or are you expecting this to continue the way it's been? I think it will continue, especially based on the presser, uh, the press conference today. I don't, fortunately, I don't think that it will do much to ease those tensions or do anything to really bring much comfort uh, to people who might be angry or upset about this. So I do think that we're probably going to see another night of protests. The uh, National Guard, Governor Evers, increased their presence so they will be out tonight. 
according to the governor. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see if, you know, they're able to keep the city calm. Okay, well, let's let's hope they can. And Crystal, we want to thank you for your time. Get back to reporting the story and uh, we'll have you back on to update us uh, as it goes on. Thanks so much. Thank you. We now have with us for a return appearance on Skullduggery, Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union and an advisor to the Trump campaign. Matt, welcome back to Skullduggery. Great to be with you again, Mike. And we got your title right this time, correct? On the second take, you absolutely <laughs> nailed the landing. All right. So we are um, into the uh, third day of the Republican convention. Um, you have no doubt been watching it. What's your take on how things have been going? Good question. You know, after watching the Democratic convention, I didn't know where what they were going to do. And I didn't think it was that great. And so my expectations of the Republican convention were equally low. And I really think we've had two really great days. I think the production value was much better than the Democrats. And I just think it's easier when you're running for re-election to have the convention because you get to talk about all this great stuff that you that you got done. And, you know, obviously you have the advantage of having the White House and having all these officials who are operating in your administration and uh, people have an idea of uh, what you're all about. So I think it might be a little easier for the Trump team to put their convention on, but I actually think they've done a really good job. Matt, give us your analysis of, A, what you think the kind of overarching message has been from this convention, but actually, more importantly, at conventions, there's always an effort to reach certain constituencies and gr- and voter groups. Break that down for us a little bit. What is Trump campaign and President Trump trying to do here? Well, I can, I, you know, the constituency that I think they have to reach out to, I'll start, start there, is people in the country that don't hate the president, who like a lot of his policies, but they maybe never have been a Trump supporter. Uh, maybe they voted for him last time, but maybe they didn't. And they benefited from his economic policies. They probably like the get get tough policies on China. But that's the segment of the electorate I really think he has to find. And the key there, I think, is using the convention as a way to kind of explain uh, Trump as a as a human being, as a man. You know, he gets so demonized. For those of us who like him and support him, the coverage is, you know, as Harvard University and other uh, places have demonstrated, it's so overwhelmingly negative that it's easy to lose the fact that he's just another American guy, right? And a very unique one, I'll give you that. But he is a human being. He's a father. He's a person that has a, you know, a love for America. And uh, and I think they have a chance to to showcase that person. I think they did that effectively with the pardoning, with the with the ceremony for the new Americans, with the conversation about schools. And so I think those attempts to explain kind of what Donald Trump, what makes him tick, is a very smart thing to do. In the end, I think the swing constituencies are are go-to-church Catholics and African-Americans. And I think if the president gets a majority of go-to-church Catholics, and if he can improve and get into the double digits with African-Americans, I think he'll get a second term. Now, on that, you know, we are at a moment this week with the protests and riots after that shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is pretty, I trust you'll agree, was pretty horrific seeing a guy shot in the back repeatedly by a police officer. Now, you have been quite critical of the Black Lives Matter movement. You've accused them of all sorts of things, being anti-capitalism and everything else. And yet, it's incidents like these that give further fuel for that movement. Can you understand why there's a lot of African-Americans and others who are quite outraged right now about what they saw on those uh, videos from Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, want to further protest under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Look, I think there are a lot of good Americans that uh, see racism in America and in our society 
and they want to take steps to combat it. To me, that was always very separate from this organization, Black Lives Matter Incorporated, and from the other nonprofits that they interrelate with. They don't like America. To me, it's not about, we've said here at the ACU over and over again, fight racism, not America. What I see from Black Lives America is a real desire to rip this country apart. They don't like the founding principles of the country. And it's true that part of the founding of this, this country included legalized slavery, but the party I'm a proud member of uh, has its very inception into this fight of making sure that slavery wouldn't be accepted. And, and obviously having the union succeed in the Civil War and passing civil rights amendments to the Constitution, which they took the lead on, and electing the first African-Americans into our government, which they took the lead on. And uh, it's true that the Republican Party uh, played in to racism for uh, a period of time, and they lost a lot of African-American voters because of it. Jackie Robinson's one of my baseball heroes. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s father was a Republican. Um, we lost ground with African-Americans when it didn't look like we wanted to take on all the vestiges of Jim Crow. But I do think, you know, looking forward to, I mean, looking to the current context of what the president has done on criminal justice reform, what we do here at the American Conservative Union on this important set of issues, demonstrates once again, I think there's a lot of people of goodwill that want to see problems with laws that uh, seem to, you know, inappropriately jail and prison uh, young black men, that should be changed. But we should make, I, I will give them no cover. This group does not believe in the family. They have egged on the burning and destruction of Christian churches, desecration of cemeteries. You can look at all the statues they're trying to desecrate or rip apart. This is not going to make the black community any stronger or better if there's an attack on the black family or the black church, two of the most important institutions in this okay, society. Matt, I think Matt, liberals I, and conservatives can agree on this, that, that that's not going to be helpful. And so, no, I will call that out. And Marxism has never worked anywhere for anyone at any time. It makes people poor and sicker and highlights animosities. And uh, I'll fight that. Okay. But Matt, I started out the question citing the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin, uh, a guy, African-American, shot in the back repeatedly by police. Were you, are you horrified by that? What went through your mind when you saw that video? Uh, yeah, it's a terrible video to watch. It's similar to watching the George Floyd video, which I think I watched once because it's just too it's abhorrent. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a really tough thing to watch. And, and this is not a loved one of one of mine. I can't imagine for his family members. I watched the press conference live. I watched his mother. I think her name was Mrs. Jack is Mrs. Jackson, Julia Jackson. What an amazing, graceful person. I mean, her son gets shot. I think it's seven times, Mike, and it's true from behind. And she basically, has this message that uh, what was done to her son, she believes to be a terrible thing, but we have to figure out a way to work together, even when, as she literally said, or even when our hands are different colors. The riots, the murders, the violence, the lawlessness that has come about uh, after this shooting and after what I clearly think was the murder of George Floyd, people keep saying it's understandable, but the problem with the violence is it's hurting the very communities, people of color, who this group seems to act like they want to improve their lives. And I don't see that. I think it's incumbent upon Joe Biden. It's incumbent upon other political leaders who think that they have the mantle of representing these voters to encourage people to stop breaking the law. But the violence isn't going to make anything better. And, you know, it, Joe Biden, he could be he could even just think about himself, you know, elect me to be your president. And I'll I will work with these communities to make them better. But I think they've been quiet. And I think maybe you can find some examples where they say that uh, the violence shouldn't happen. I think it's very muted. It's too muted. I think that they are, I think the politics of this will be terrible for them. But more importantly, that it's, this should be a moment where Republicans and Democrats can come together and work on something. Oh, this is what we do on criminal justice reform. And I think Joe Biden and the Democrats are missing it. I think the American people are really worried when they see these major cities on fire. Matt, speaking of the violence, I'm actually just seeing a notification on my phone that a 17-year-old white Illinois 
man was arrested in the deadly shootings uh, in Kenosha last night, apparently with some ties to militia groups. So there is pretty terrible violence being perpetrated against protesters in Kenosha. But what I wanted to ask you is, I did not hear, you talked about the Biden campaign and and, and, and their silence and what they need to, I, I didn't hear the uh, a lot of people talking about Kenosha at the convention last night. I mean, you know, I saw a lot of speakers from Wisconsin, which is a state that the Trump campaign is targeting, but I didn't hear Kenosha uttered. I don't know if maybe the first lady did, but I didn't hear it. What? Why not? And what should what should the uh, Republicans at the convention tonight be saying about Kenosha? Well, I don't. I wouldn't encourage anybody to be definitive about what happened with this shooting. Uh, I don't know the facts. I saw the video. The video. I agree with Mike. I watched the video, and it's horrific to watch. I listened to the press conference of the families. There's going to be a, a thorough investigation, and there should be, and it might even be appropriate for this to be a, a federal investigation. And I think if uh, the cops are guilty of doing something wrong, I think they should throw the book at them. Uh, it's the same thing they're doing with George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis. But, but the other side of this is if we justify the violence in the riots, even if those are cases of murder and police brutality and most serious of crimes by the hands of police officers, it is immoral and repugnant to somehow chastise all cops uh, when the vast overwhelming majority of cops help protect us in a very dangerous way every day. I think the Democrats are making a big mistake in embracing the agenda of Black Lives Matter Incorporated, which is number one target a goal is to defund the cops. And I think the president is right to say we need law and order. Uh, we also need police reform. And we also have to hold cops accountable. I don't think this is that complicated to understand. And I don't know oh. why Biden is so muted on calling out. You know, when you see the victims of all the violence in the streets of all in Chicago, you bring up Wisconsin, what we've seen in New York City and across this country, that is not helping people of color. And we should have a calming yeah. of, uh, me, of, of justifying riots. It's, it's a mistake. Let me just follow up on, you mentioned defunding the police. Last night and the night before, over and over again, speakers at the Republican convention either suggested or outright asserted that Joe Biden supports yes. uh, defunding the police. Yes. Eric Trump said Biden has pledged to defund the police. Yes. That's, that is not true. Uh, Biden, Biden, Biden has said, quote, he told CBS News, I don't support defunding the police. He has, he has proposed $300 million for the cops program. That's to bolster community policing in these communities. So that's just, it's not true. Daniel, this is why people have stopped engaging in this idea that the media is going to call it square, fair and square. Black Lives Matter believes in seven or eight things. All of them are repugnant to me. You know, getting rid of the family, the idea that we have to have abortion on demand through oh, well, nine what, months. what do you mean let that me Black finish. Lives Matter let, let is let me, uh, let me, let me getting rid of the let family? What do you let mean me by finish. That? It's all on their website. I'm happy to sit down there with your computer and walk you through it but don't cover don't cover for this group you're better than that this is something that they they what they espouse are very extreme views and the first thing that they espouse is defunding the cops when you watch the democratic convention you couldn't go through 80 minutes without the black fist image without the speaker fully supporting the Black Lives Matter Incorporated. Okay, but my question is about Biden. Let me finish. And Joe Biden has said on numerous occasions that he doesn't want to defund the cops. He simply wants to take funding away from cops. Now, you can play a word game of whether that means defund or less funds, or but you can embrace Black Lives Matter Incorporated, whose most important rallying policy goal is to do everything they can to harm the police, and then on the same side say, hey, I'm for the cops. It's why simply the American people view this as double talk. We know where Trump sits. So, Matt, there's the group you're citing, Black Lives Matter Coalition, but there are 
many others, if not millions, who have marched under the banner of Black Lives Matter because they're genuinely outraged at what happened to George Floyd, at what happened to Jacob Flake, what happened to Breonna Taylor and others, and to lump everybody who's out there protesting and chanting Black Lives Matter, suggesting they want to do away with families, capitalism. Uh, you know, it just seems like but a stretch. I, you're, you're attributing views to people that they don't they, really hold. But you're a journalist. You don't have to cover for them. It's on their website. You don't have to no, agree. I know. That's they don't a have to agree with it. You group. can say they That's don't agree with it. The but don't ask, don't ask me that. questions about what they agree. They wrote it out. I'm just saying I disagree with that. Are you saying good people who don't believe in that Marxist crap, but just basically want racial harmony marched? Absolutely. I would agree with you. Millions yeah, of but, but, people. But it makes sense. Want- Black Lives Matter is a broad movement. You're, you are pointing to one particular. No, I'm not. No, no, I'm talking about the very way it's all funded. I'm talking about how these nonprofits operate. But even if, even if the only policy goal you, you truly can understand is the defund movement, it's wrong of you to say, I can support the group that's pushing the defunding of cops movement. And at the same time say to someone like Joe Biden, he doesn't want to defund the cops. You don't get to have it both ways. By the way, if you're against abortion, you're not also for abortion, right? You don't get to have it both ways. It's why Joe Biden is in such a tough spot. I'm not a socialist. I don't espouse these extremist views. But then he takes kind of the title off and then tells everybody he actually is for all their policy goals. You know, is he a socialist? Is he a moderate? Everyone keeps having this conversation. There's no moderate Democrat that would embrace this radical stuff of Black Lives Matter Incorporated, but he did embrace it. So this leaves voters with a choice. If you love a cop, if you have a cop in your family, do you like the idea that the Democratic nominee is embracing a group that is being very hostile to cops? And I don't think if you love a cop, you're going to appreciate that. You know, Matt, you, uh, you know, have gone after the Black Lives Matter organization on the left. On the right, uh, you folks have your own baggage these days, and I'm thinking in particular of the uh, QAnon conspiracy cult, which uh, feeds off the president's tweets and, uh, you know, believes that a cabal of Satan worshipers and pedophiles are working to uh, sabotage the Trump presidency. And when Trump was asked about this just last week, He didn't disavow the support of QAnon. He said, I don't know much about the movement, but other than I understand they like me very much, I've heard these are people that love our country. Is that enough to say about a bizarre conspiracy cult like QAnon? This is the double standard. What's the double standard? When the uh, the conversation is Richard Spencer supporting Donald Trump, every day he gets asked, will you disavow Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer came out and endorsed Joe Biden the other day. And Biden disavowed him. Crickets. Immediately. I, yeah, I, I haven't seen much. I don't, I mean, I haven't seen him get asked that question by a reporter. Well, he because, well, because he the Biden campaign instantly said, Look at you, your heads are, Richard your heads are exploding <laughs> because what you want Trump to do every day is be responsible for every single person, including kooky people, who might support him. But Joe Biden, with his own voice, is endorsing the radicalism, the radicalism of Black Lives Matter Incorporated. And you're saying, oh, he can support Black Lives Matter Incorporated and not support any of their policies. And you think that's fine. And that's why this is why people don't view yeah, we made uh, a this is why people don't view this as credible. We made a distinction between the particular group you're talking about and the broader movement of Black Lives Matter. No, you're doing that because you know if you can separate what is happening on the streets from the written down radical policies of Black Lives Matter, it makes Black Lives Matter more palatable to people. That's why you're doing it. And I think that's a mistake. I think if people are going to walk under a banner that was paid for and printed by these organizations who basically want to destroy America, they want to have a revolution, as Bill Barr said, if that's what they're going to do, it's a fair question to every politician that says they support Black Lives Matter. If you support Black Lives Matter, do you support 
the fact that kids have been murdered in our cities, shops have been burned to the ground. People in Washington, D.C. can't sit through lunch without these mobs of people coming in and shouting at them and their children as they sit outside and try to have lunch, which is in which is a violation of the law. Are you saying that it's not fair to say to them, would you call that illegal activity out? I think it's fair. I also think it's fair for you to ask me if I endorse QAnon. I don't. I don't know much about it. I don't endorse it. We haven't invited them to come speak at CPAC. If they Was the president tolerance. wrong to praise that um, QAnon supporter who I, won the House primary in Georgia I, as a future look, star of the Republican Party? My, my view on this person is I'm going to be happy to talk to them and meet them and see if uh, their views are in line with something we can support. Well, we but know no, that I'm she is- to, uh, I'm she, not going to take your analysis, Mike. No offense. I respect you. But I believe that the coverage of Donald Trump is so over the top and so ridiculous that, no, I'm not going to take your analysis of this woman who you don't know and say, oh, I'm going to you give me this kind of a question to say, oh, does this mean that you endorse everything about her? No, I'm going to I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and look at her policy positions and see if this is somebody I could support. So the if American I Conservative Union could endorse Let me ask you a question. What if she's running against somebody who has outrageously radical positions, including supporting Black Lives Matter Incorporated? Why don't you ask those questions of the Democrats? How do you support an organization that's resulting in dozens of deaths in cities all across this country? This is kind of the juxtaposition. What you're saying maybe is maybe we ask both people that question. Okay, you asked me the question on QAnon. That's my answer. I don't know much about it. Do you know but, what, but if, you, if you discover that she has indeed, as has been widely reported, been a, a promoter of QAnon conspiracy theories, is that a uh, a line you are not prepared to cross? You will cut her off. You will not. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we don't endorse QAnon. I don't endorse conspiracy theories. We have never invited these people nor highlighted them at our conference CPAC, which you know very well. But you know, we were also told that. The idea that Trump was being spied on by the Obama team was a conspiracy theory. I remember sitting in a seat at CNN after he said that Trump Towers, the Trump Towers phone lines had been bugged. And I was told well, by that, the people that, at CNN that. that that was a conspiracy theory. So, Mike, no offense. You're not your batting average isn't very high. I'm being <laughs> able to choose what's a conspiracy theory and wait, actually wait, wait. what Hold was political espionage. For the record, Matt. There's absolutely no evidence that the phones inside Trump Tower were ever tapped by the Obama Justice do you, Department. Do you think that, I, 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 here we go, Forrester the Trees, do you think that President Obama's intelligence community spied on Team Trump? It's pretty clear that there was a FISA uh, against one Trump campaign advisor, Carter Page, and that an uh, undercover uh, informant was assigned to talk to uh, various individuals who were being suspected of being co-opted by the Russians during the campaign. But these were decisions from everything we know made internally by the FBI's counterintelligence division uh, without any input from uh, President Obama, Vice President oh, Biden, and you or believe anybody that. at the White you House. You believe that. Well, uh, that is all that that is what the testimony shows so far. Maybe you've had some maybe you have access to some documents or testimony that we haven't. You can't use the English language, which you know very well, to say, yeah, the Obama team was over the line in using their capabilities in the intelligence community to go after their political opponents. You literally can't say that. Ask oh, because me, just ask me if I support conspiracy theories, I'd have to support conspiracy theories to think that neither Joe Biden or Barack Obama or anybody but some underling in the CIA or the FBI was trying to spy on the Trump team to get a political advantage. Well, because, Matt, there's absolutely no evidence that the president or the vice president had any role whatsoever in how that counterintelligence investigation was conducted. Why did they say that President Obama wanted to do this by the book and wanted to be kept in the loop? What did they mean when they said that, Mike? Well, by the book means that they didn't want the president, Susan Rice was saying, the president was not going to get involved in telling the FBI what to do. 
That's not right. You don't do a counterintelligence investigation for anybody other than the president. They okay. did that for the president. No, you can say, OK. No, but no I'm just saying you guys aren't going to uh, agree. And you guys have uh, you made your points. And I want to move to another topic. So, I think what uh, Kleinman is saying is let's move on. Let's move on here. I so, just want to make right. the record clear that literally Mike Isikoff doesn't think the Obama team did anything wrong no. when it came to spying no, on Now you're distorting if, what I said, if, Matt. If Mike Isikoff came to I me, the, his editor, and, and said, I'm going to write that story, I would have said, based on what? Where is the reporting? Where is the evidence? You don't have any. So how need, did, why did this person plea, Mr. Kleinsmith, why did he plea because to describe if there's no evidence? An email. Matt. There can be abuses by the FBI that doesn't mean that the president of the United States was directing them, just the as I assume you directs, would say. What? The president what? of the United States is the only one who can start and oversee a counterintelligence investigation from the FBI. You know this, Mike. I'm All I'm asking for you is to say that was probably too much. IG of the Justice Department has documented abuses right. by the FBI. It has shown no, right. e there was no evidence presented That's that this not was right. directed That's by the way. All right, we, are, we, are, we don't have a lot of time left. We are moving on. Hey, Matt, I just want to uh, come back to uh, Black Lives Matter for one more beat on this. Um, you obviously have been publicly critical of the group. You On Twitter, you talked about its various uh, progressive goals, hostile to families, capitalism, cops, unborn life, which has gotten you into a bit of uh, trouble. You lost some lobbying clients as a result of this, including, I should note, Verizon, which owns... Yahoo, our news site. Were you a, a victim of cancel culture here? Yeah, clearly. And I think it's ironic that Bill Barr was the general counsel of Verizon for 20 years. He served on their board of directors. Um, you know, he's the account that I follow to kind of know what the federal response is to these this lawlessness and the riots and the murders and the fires and the arson. Uh, in these cities, and uh, just shows you how far things have changed. You used the word progressive. I would probably quibble with that, Mike. I don't think that Black Lives Matter Incorporated is a progressive group uh, because the founders of Black Lives Matter call themselves Marxists, and they want a revolution in America. And I don't. And I'll so, fight, yeah, it, with every, I'll fight it with every breath in my body. Okay, Matt, but what you wrote is, and this happened because many corporate boards are infected with leftists. So do you really believe that the corporate board of Verizon and a lot of other big companies that have dropped you, like Abbott Laboratories, are secret Marxists who want to uh, turn the American economy into a communist country? Do you really believe that? No, and that's not what I said, and I don't want to talk about any specific company or a specific company's board, but I will, I will be happy to answer generally, which is uh, the fact that these companies rely on conservatives and Republicans in office to pass tax and regulatory policy to confirm judges who don't want to meddle in every little regulatory question in our economy. They rely on these Republicans and conservatives for the policies that they need. Their PACs give contributions to Republicans who advocate for free market, less regulations, uh, less taxation, but yet their communication arm of their company embraces the radicalism of groups like Black Lives Matter Incorporated. Some of them give philanthropy to Planned Parenthood. You see them embracing too many groups, the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, is another one that comes to mind. You see these corporations, which are about making money, essentially, Mike, and selling products at the cheapest cost that they possibly can, many of them doing business uh, to get cut rates in China. You see them doing business in these places. And, uh, uh, excuse me, you see them politically trying to get the benefit, right, of this kind of virtue shaming. And so maybe it's because they don't want to get attacked by these groups. Maybe it's because... A CEO who is not a person of color wants to try to keep the criticism that there's not more diversity in the 
in the boardroom and in the C-suite at bay? I don't know. But I also think that the boards of too many companies don't reflect the political reality, which is in order to be profitable, most of these companies do better when Republicans win elective office and have a majority in the House and the Senate. Most of these companies did much better under President Trump's policies, and they loved his tax cut plan, but yet they had trouble embracing that reality with the people they hired to do their communication strategies. I think it's a hypocrisy. I think some have been called out on it. Um, if a company doesn't want to hire me, they don't have to hire me. They shouldn't call me a racist, uh, but they don't have to hire me. All right. I want to move on to the other really big story that has consumed all of us. We are all living through a pandemic. How big a factor do you believe the coronavirus has been in this campaign? And do you believe it is hurting Donald Trump or helping Donald Trump? The, the virus? Yeah. You know, I think what's interesting is I think Donald Trump is running against the virus and Joe Biden is running with the virus. And by that, I don't mean that Biden is happy the virus is here. I'm sure everybody hates this scourge, as the president calls it. But Biden's commercials are just the major theme is the virus. It's Joe Biden mostly in in a mask, behind a mask, even though he doesn't have coronavirus and he doesn't interact with people. He's seems to be he's the ultimate example of being socially distant. And he runs on this theme that the president's responsible for nearly 180,000 American deaths, which I think most honest people believe that's a low blow. You can disagree with some of the president's policies, but certainly the president isn't the one who unleashed this virus on the world. I think it's a low blow for Republicans to blame Governors Murphy, uh, Newsom, and Cuomo, just to name three, for the terrible decisions they made that resulted in a lot of deaths uh, in our senior population because they put sick people in nursing homes. I don't think they did that because they were trying to kill people. I think they just made a mistake, tragic mistake. Um, and we've learned a lot as this virus has run you know, roughshod over this country and the globe. And uh, it's a tragedy that so many people have died. It's obviously very virulent virus for people who are older and people who have underlying health problems. And but Matt, uh, Matt uh, I mean, poll after poll after poll show that a sizable majority of Americans believe that Donald Trump has not handled this virus well. Isn't that part of the reason that he is as far behind as he is in, in, in the polls nationally and that his approval ratings are as low as they are right now? I don't think his approval ratings are low, and I don't think he's behind very, very much nationally. I think you're making the mistake that was made four years ago, and I'll just remind you, and I read, I read almost all these polls. Um, he's roughly in the same spot he was in four years ago versus Hillary Clinton. Matter of fact, there was a real clear politics, had him behind nine points the other day, which is roughly where he was at the same time against Hillary Clinton. Um, and, you know, national polls don't mean really anything. And uh, there's a there's something else going on in this race, or a couple of other dynamics. Uh, the first one is, is Trump people are much more enthusiastic about him than Joe Biden, which is a very important thing uh, when it comes to polling. And if you do a battleground analysis, you could still say Trump is behind in some states that he won last time. I think that's a very fair statement. But I think within this whole context of the virus, as you bring up, the economic shutdown, but most specifically, you know, race riots going on around the country, I think it does mean that Donald Trump will underpoll even more this time than he did four years ago. So Joe Biden is going to think he's doing better in the polls all the way up until Election Day. And I think Donald Trump will once again overperform on Election Day because people are simply not going to tell people like you guys that they're voting for Donald Trump. If, if the next answer question is, why do you support QAnon or why are you, uh, you know, tr trying to build racial animosity? People are not going to answer those questions. How do you assess the race right now? You say you don't believe the president is as behind as the polls show, but right. he is behind, and every battleground state poll shows he's behind. What? Um, are you, did, Mike, are you saying he's behind in every battleground state? Because that's clearly not right. Well, I mean, he's behind in uh, in Florida, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. Poll out today, CNBC has Biden up by five points. North Wait, Carolina, that, CNBC that a, has Biden up by one. Arizona, Biden up by two. So in the battleground states, in Michigan, Biden up by 
uh, sizable amount. I'm happy to. I'm happy. I can pull up my, uh, these polls in these states. There's other polls that give a much better view. I think what you've just described is rough parity. Biden and Trump roughly tied in almost all the major battleground states, which I think comports to what I'm saying, which is if it's true that there's an undervote for Trump again, he's going to lose the he most likely loses the national popular vote, just like he did to Hillary Clinton by, I think, almost three percentage points because of uh, ballot harvesting and some of these changes in California and New York and other states. My guess is he could lose that popular vote by more than three and still become get a second term as our president. So once again, these national polls, it doesn't really tell you what's going on. If you look at these battleground state polls, he's definitely in the hunt. And I think he's underperforming in the polls that you're looking at. So it tells me he's in a really good position. What's the winning issue for uh, the president, in your view? The winning issue, I think, the most important issue, I think you know, Daniel's question is a good question about the fact that the virus is kind of front uh, on the mind of everybody. Everybody's concerned about it. I don't want to minimize the concern. It's a serious virus. I have an 80-year-old mom. And two uh, in-laws that are in the same age area. We worry about them. And I think the question is, who's the right person to keep us safe? As China did unleash this on us and the world, who's the right person to keep us safe? And who's the right person to get us back to that vibrant economy we had not so long ago, where we had the lowest African-American unemployment rate, where people felt much better about the country and about their economic future than they did at any moment during the Obama administration? Who's the right person to get us back there? That's the deal that Donald Trump has to has to close uh, with those voters who haven't made up their mind. And those voters who haven't made up their mind in these polls that you were just mentioning, Mike, one of the benefits the president has is that they're they feel more positive about Trump than Biden. Those folks who are still undecided. But he's got to close the deal with people that don't love everything about him, just that they feel like his policies will get us to a better place. OK, I got one last question. You worked for George W. Bush. You worked on his, his presidential campaign. You were his political director in the White House, a close advisor to him. He has not participated in this convention. He has not endorsed your party's nominee, Donald Trump. He hasn't even issued a statement that's supportive of Donald Trump. Why do you think that is, and are you disappointed? Yes, I'm disappointed. I think a lot of Republicans endorsed President Bush 41 and President Bush 43, even when they didn't agree with them on everything. Bush 41 had primaries, right? And people rallied around him when he was the nominee. And I think that's what party regulars should do. And I also know that uh, there's animosity between the two presidents, Trump and Bush. Trump has had some rough things to say about the Bush family, too. So I understand uh, a son wanting to defend his dad and a dad wanting to defend his son. But I think if you care about the country, and I know he does, but I think that when you see the socialist agenda that's being put forth by the Democratic Party, I think you can uh, get past some of your personal animosity and support the president, especially when you see what the Democrats want to do to the policy legacy that you care about. Now, one of the things I love about President George W. Bush, like his dad, is when he exited the stage, he really exited. The only thing that frustrates me is when they do get back on the stage, they do seem to want to say awfully nice things about uh, Obama or Bill Clinton. And, uh, and I, I see this relationship between George W. Bush 43 and Michelle Obama. So all I would say is that if you're off, get completely off. If you're going to pop back in from time to time to have mild chastisements of Trump, I don't think it's helpful to this cause of trying to unite the country again. And the great thing for Trump is because he ran as really our second outsider president, George Washington being the first, in my opinion, uh, people can quibble with me, but Donald Trump is a true outsider. Every time these establishment Republicans attack him, Susan Molinari, who's a friend of mine speaking at the Democratic convention, Whatever this thing is George Conway thinks he has accomplished or Bill Kristol thinks he has accomplished, they're not hurting Trump. They're helping Trump. Because to the guy that gets up, the, the man or woman who gets up early to the alarm clock every day and works really hard and dirties their hands in their uniform, um, they don't really care that uh, these elites have their feelings hurt. What they care about is how they're going to feed their family, 
how are they going to give their kids a better life? And I think Donald Trump connects to them on those policies. And that's the question for Joe Biden. Can he connect to those voters? If he doesn't, he won't win. Uh, You don't think the uh, Lincoln Project ads are um, helping Biden and hurting Trump? Well, I think it's interesting because they're on Fox a lot. Um, Obviously, I I appear on Fox and I watch a lot of Fox, although I I consume a ton of news. Um, I think with the Lincoln Project, I shouldn't say this because a lot of people listen to your very good podcast, but I think um, the Lincoln Project is so infuriating Republicans around the country who have never been so unified. Conservatives and Republicans have never been behind a nominee at the level that they're behind Donald Trump, and they watch these ads and they go crazy. Now, I think some of the stuff they've done has been effective for what they're trying to accomplish. They try to antagonize the president, you know, um, and uh, they're trying to get more swamp Republicans to feel like uh, Joe Biden might win. So I think they're they're also getting very wealthy personally. Since I guess this is a free enterprise system. They have the right to do that. Will they have much of an impact on the race? No, because like I said, the impact on the race is going to be go to church Catholics, I think is the ultimate, the number one ultimate swing constituency. Will they stick with Biden? who would only be our second elected Catholic, or do they abandon Biden because of, I believe, hostile policies he's putting forward that Catholics care about? And African-American voters, does Trump continue to score in the high double digits with African-Americans on election day? If he does, he's gonna get four more years. And wait, in the high double digits. Not he, the high double digits. He got eight percent. He got eight percent, which was which was more than Mitt Romney or Yeah, very Dr. fair. Gaines, I'm but. talking about that if he can get into the teens, especially into the high teens, he's the next, he's gonna get four more years. Um, no, I don't think he's gonna get ninety-nine percent of of uh, of African Americans. But this is that's quite a huge leap. And especially if he gets that support in light of the fact that he's constantly called a racist. The question is, what do black voters think about that when they look at what he's done on criminal justice reform, when they look at the pardons that, you know, he just, you know, assigned another pardon last night uh, during the convention, Alice Johnson, the rest of these people. This is very compelling to black voters. And quite honestly, Joe Biden has been wrong on these sets of issues, terribly wrong. And uh, and, and the contrast between these two kid candidates couldn't be any more stark. I think Donald Trump is going to get the benefit of the fact that he picked up on a really important theme, which was the 1994 crime bill, uh, put too many young black men uh, away in prison and destroyed a lot of families. And Joe Biden was proud to, that that was his crime bill. And Donald Trump has basically had policies which have done the opposite. Uh, Matt, I want to uh, thank you again uh, for uh, coming on Skullduggery. You are always welcome to pop in and out um, <laughs> and uh, give us your take on where things stand. Um, so we will um, be talking as the race unfolds. Hey, uh, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and allowing us all to have a spirited conversation with respect. And you know, the election is close at hand. And although most of us have made up our minds and we're pretty solid in our decisions, believe it or not, as we all know, there are Americans who haven't. And maybe debating uh, will help them figure out where they're, <laughs> where they're gonna be on election day and, and make, some, sure, you, make sure as many of you vote in person as possible. Huh? Well, democracy is still alive on Skullduggery, if, if nowhere else. Yeah, right. Amen. All right, thanks Amen. a lot. Take care.